the podcast of the Doral Vineyard Church. This is a message by Denver Lee. God's plan, this, and this may offend some scholars, but God has one kingdom. What does that mean? <laughs> this means that if he has one plan for your life and something is not going according to that plan, it never becomes his plan. What do I mean? There's never a point where the people in Egypt should be like, well, maybe God changed his mind. Maybe he's teaching me a lesson here. Maybe there's something. No, God has one plan, one kingdom, right? Um, Ephesians 4 verse 4 says there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. There is one hope for you. There's only one hope. God, God, God doesn't have multiple hopes for you in case you fall short of this one. He has this one. And in case you fall short, that's not how it works. He has one hope. And his name is Jesus. That's, that's your hope. Your hope is in him. That is the hope. He has the highest hope for you. And he never lowers his standards because you don't meet it. All right? But there's a thing called grace. And grace doesn't lower the bar. Grace gets you higher. Right, And so he never changes the standard. There is one hope for your life. There's one hope. And what we're asking for is, God, the hope that you predestined for me, let it come. Let it come. Don't, don't lower the bar. Bring the high bar down to me. I want to climb me up to it. I want to get to the thing that you have for me. I, I don't, I don't want to lower the standard. Right? And so God, God has one hope. And, and God does not have one authority for heaven and then another one for earth. Right. His authority in heaven is his authority. Right. And, and if you understand the Garden of Eden and the fall and etc., we understand that we're, we're, we're living in a fallen place. But God has one authority. And our prayer is that this one authority that's in heaven would come to earth. So that's why in the book of Revelations um, 11, 5, we see that when God's final plan is revealed, it says the kingdom of this world become the kingdom of the kingdom of our God becomes the kingdom of this world and he will reign forever. Right? And so he has one kingdom. And that kingdom, the kingdom of him becomes the kingdom, it comes down and it becomes the kingdom of this world and he reigns forever. So he doesn't have two kingdoms. He doesn't have two rules. It's not two reigns. It's one kingdom, one God, one salvation, one, one cross, one Christ. It's only one. Right? And so that's what we're asking for. We're asking for the single kingdom to come. So here's, here's the point. God's, God's plan is for the kingdom of God to come, and that's the good news. That is the good news. And, and we talked last week that the good news is not primarily that Jesus died on the cross. The good news is the kingdom of God, and the climax of the kingdom is Jesus dying on the cross. So Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. So we're going to run through a few of them. Luke 4, verse 43. Jesus said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I've, I've come. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom. Mark, four, Mark, Mark 1, verse 14. Now after John was put into prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Right? He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And then at the end, he says, to believe that good news. The gospel of the kingdom is what he's preaching. Jesus went about Galilee, Mark 4, verse 23, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's preaching the God. This is what he's preaching. He's preaching about the good news. There's good news. God has a plan. It's in the kingdom and the kingdom is coming. That's what Jesus is preaching. Right. Uh, Luke 16, verse 16. He says the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. 
Some people are pressing into it, apparently, right? The, the, the gospel of the kingdom has been preached. God's plan for your life is no longer just when you die. Here it is. Death is not your salvation. Right? Death is not your salvation. If you're looking for the good life, when you, to, if you're looking for death to be the demarcation between this life and the next one, then death is your salvation and not Jesus. Death is the thing that's saving you. And not Jesus. Death is not the thing that we, we ought to look forward to. And so some people think that it's death and they can't wait to die. And they're just saying, just keep me around a little longer until I get to that place. Jesus is like, no, 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 the kingdom is coming. And I'm trying to get that place to you before you get to it. When I, when I, when I, when I was in Africa, I, I, was, I was preaching to um, a, a group of pastors. And I was like in this little tent and... We're like dancing and jumping and I'm sweating like profusely and I stand up and I'm giving this message and I'm like, I want to see how close I can get to God without dying. But if I die, so be it. And they're like, what? I'm like, I, I want to get close enough to him. Just like Moses, right? If you take one step closer, you're going to fall and die. I want to be there. Because that means that the kingdom of God is coming and he's breaching the line of death. He has breached death. We call that the resurrection. Right? Resurrection means that he has breached death. He's crossed over death and he's bringing it. The thing that you thought death was going to be the thing that got you into heaven. He's conquering death and he's bringing life into now. That is the good news. That is, that is the good news. That's why, that's why the cross is the climax of the good news. But it's not the good news in, in and of itself. The, the good news is that the cross makes the way for this thing to happen. The resurrection is the place that kills death, tears down that line, and brings the kingdom of God into right now. That is the good news that Jesus is preaching. Luke 8, verse 1. Now it came to pass that afterwards Jesus went through every city and village preaching and bringing the good tithe to the gospel of the kingdom. Mark 9, Matthew 9, verse 35. Jesus went about all cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every diseases and such things. And then in Acts, so this is after the death, this is after the resurrection, this is right before the ascension. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. So he's teaching his disciples, go out and teach them about the kingdom, tell them about the kingdom, declare the kingdom, perform the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And, and here's the good news, that Jesus is the king who has come. He's the climax of the kingdom, but the good news is the kingdom. That's what Jesus preached. Jesus preached the kingdom. And so the kingdom of God in the, in the Old Testament give, gives, us a, gives us an idea and it helps us to understand the kingdom of God in the New Testament. So in the New Testament, you'll never find a place where Jesus defined the kingdom of God. Jesus never says, the kingdom of God is X, Y, Z. And the reason why he never does that is because people understand what he means. So when I say take out your Bibles, I, I never say take out your Bibles, which is a combination of Old Testament and New Testament, which part of it is the prophets and part of it is poetry. Like, you know what the Bible is. And so if, if someone 2,000 years from now were to be listening to this audio recording and they hear me say take out your Bibles, they probably wouldn't know what a Bible is if it's so far removed from them and they've never had one. Right? And so when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he never defines it because everyone knew what he was talking about. They had an expectation of what the kingdom is. This is why they ask questions like, are we going to overthrow the Roman Empire now? Are, are, are we going to slash heads and are we, gonna not, are, are we taking this thing over? Because that's what they expected. They expected God's rule to be manifested physically. 
But Jesus came and said, God's rule is being manifested within your hearts. And he's saying the, the, the good life that's in the future, that's coming to you. That's coming to you, and you get to partake of it. And that's why we have to look at what the Old Testament expectation was to give definition and context for the New Testament preaching of the kingdom. Because when Jesus says the kingdom of God, he means something. And what he means is found in the Old Testament. Right? So that's how we get the definition for that. And that's why we're going through the book of Exodus and, and looking at this primary place where we see that word Malkuth, which is kingdom, used for one of the first times. Where it talks about God reigning forever. This is one of the first places after the Israelites are set free and, and they, they get across that uh, Red Sea and Moses and, and, and his sister get, get an old tambourine and they start singing and dancing and they're singing about how God's kingdom has come. They're saying his rule has, has come in and he has conquered the Egyptian rule because his kingdom has come. So this is the context for the kingdom that the people are talking about in the New Testament because they remember and have teachings and context from the Old Testament. Exodus 4, verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, this is Moses after he, he's telling God that he can't go because he has whatever issues in his life that he can't do the thing that God is telling him to do. So God says, I'm coming to my people. I'm coming, so I want you to go. And this is Moses talking back to God. And, and God responds to him after he tells him he can't go. And he says, who gave human beings their mouth and who made them deaf or mute and who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Verse 12, he said, now go and I will speak to you and I will teach you what to say. Right. And so God is sending them out and God says, I'm going to speak to you and I'm going to teach you what to say. And so in the coming of God's kingdom, we see God revealing his thoughts to humanity. Right. And, and so the, the kingdom of God is, is not this. There's some people who have this idea that the kingdom of God coming is, is this violent inbreaking and that like e even at the end, right? Um, man, I don't know if I have this. I go to Matthew 24. So Jesus, people have this idea even then that when the kingdom came, that it was going to be a violent explosion manifested physically, right? They thought that the governmental rule was going to be overthrown and that everything was, was going to be taken care of and God's kingdom was, was going to come that way. So, so Jesus says, that, so Jesus is explaining to them all throughout Matthew 4 that you're going to hear wars and rumors of war. And nations are going to rise against nation, but the end won't come yet. And you're going to see destruction and devastation, and you're going to think it's the end, but the end won't come yet. And people are going to turn against you, and they're going to hate you and fight against you. You're going to feel like it's the end because you're nearing death, but the end's not going to come yet. And Jesus goes throughout all chapter 24, and he's talking about what it feels like and what it sounds like and how you're going to think it's the end, but it's not the end. And then in verse 14, he says, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. The end is predicated on the preaching of the kingdom. And so as people talk about, you know, you can go online when any, dis when any devastation happens, people can go online and, and find people talking about, oh, well, Jesus is coming because this is happening. Jesus is coming because there's this devastation. I, I, I can feel the surgency of the kingdom coming because buildings are blowing up and there's wars and there's fires. And Jesus says, you're going to think it's the end, but the end won't come. The end comes when you and I partner with God, start hearing his voice, and the gospel gets preached. That is when the end comes, right? Because that's, that's what the Bible says. That's why. That's what he says, right? It's his kingdom and he makes the rules. And he says, this is what's going to make the kingdom come when we step into our kingdom roles and we start to preach the good news to every nation. That's what makes the kingdom come, not the destruction, because death is not your savior. 
And so Jesus says that he, he's, he's speaking to, to Moses in the burning bush. We, we talk about the, the pre-incarnate of Christ. And then he has this back and forth. And God tells him, now go and I'll speak and I'll teach you. And here we see the coming of the kingdom that's tied to the sending out of man. And just like how God declares the kingdom to, to Moses and then sends him out, Jesus declares the kingdom to man and then he sends us out. Right? Jesus preached the kingdom as we just looked at like 12 verses where he preaches the kingdom and then he sends them out. And God tells Moses the kingdom and then God sends Moses back out. And we see the coming of the kingdom always involves a partnership with humanity because that's, that's, God's, that's God's favorite form to take. Right? God loves man. God does not hate humanity. God loves humanity and he takes his favorite form as a man. And God is sovereign in all his sovereignty, but he chooses to not proceed without your partnership. And so can he? Yes. But because he loves you, he says, I'm going to, like, I have all power and all knowledge, and I could do this a certain way, but what I'm going to choose to do is to include and involve you, and I'm going to work my sovereignty in such a way that it won't violate your free will, but it'll beckon it, right? And, and so he's working his sovereignty in a way that involves you. And so he says, if the kingdom ought to come, you have a role in it. You have a place in the coming of God's kingdom. And just like any healthy relationship, God starts to reveal his thoughts into humanity. And I know that this, this can sound arrogant and, and it can sound like, you know, when this is, this is depicted and then as, as one of the most devastating things, as far as I'm concerned in, in Hollywood, when someone says that they, they hear God, it's like they're, they're insane, right? It's always some, it's, it's always the most crazy person in a ditch somewhere like not eating and they're, you know, they have no lights and, and they're, 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 they never bathe and they're just like, I hear God. I hear God saying, you know, and, and Hollywood de depicts the hearing of God as something that is just out of this world, that is just completely out of this world. And then we take into that and then when we start to hear God, we get afraid to like, well, maybe I just, I just get this. I don't know if I hear God. I don't know. I don't know because I'm not crazy and I don't want to be crazy. So maybe I don't hear God. And then we disqualify ourselves from hearing God. Then we start to disqualify ourselves because it's weird and it's strange and Hollywood says so. And then the second thing I, I think keeps us from hearing God is that it's hard for us to believe that the creator will actually speak to the creation. I, I think that sometimes we walk in this false humility that makes us think God would never speak to me. And then you hear some God speaking to someone else. God can never speak to them. <laughs> you know? Like, and, and we disqualify ourselves because it's hard for us to believe that God in all his glory and all his power would ever care enough to talk to you. Like, God wouldn't care about, like, I, I try to pray for some people at work, right? I was sharing with, with a friend yesterday, like, how, like, I listen at work, so in, like, as, we have cubicles, and so the walls are, like, paper thin, and so I was like, oh, my feet hurt. I'm like, what? You're what? You're what? I want to pray for you? Can I pray? Like, oh, I couldn't get this bill paid. What? Can I pray for you? I just want to have the opportunity to come speak into your life or say something good. And I'm looking for these opportunities. And I told him, I feel like God is saying this. I feel like the Lord is saying that. You know, and, and like, like I shared all the time, there's some atheists where I live and work. And they're like, hey, you, you hear God. And when God speaks to you, you know. And, the, and, and people get this idea that, like, God doesn't care about their little insignificant they're insignificant situations. But God says, I know every hair that's on your head. He's like, he's like I, I know every detail about you, and I created it, and I care about it. And so when Jesus comes, like, we, we, we see him getting involved in little things that even the Pharisees are like, why is he eating with sinners? Why does he care about their little problems? It's like, because 
I love them. And this is why he speaks to us. He speaks to us because he loves us. And for you to deny hearing him is to not receive his love. And to not receive God's love is always, everybody say always, always the number one problem in the life of the believer. Not receiving God's love is the number one problem that we always have as a believer. Always, because everything starts with receiving God's love. Everything starts with first receiving God's love. And so in Amos 3 verse 7, Amos says, surely the sovereign Lord does not reveal his, does not do anything with, without revealing his plans to the prophets. And so how does God reveal his, his thoughts? Hebrew 1 uh, verse 1 to 2 says, God, after long ago, he spoke to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. But in these last days, he speaks to us through his son. So he's speaking to us and he's speaking to us through his son. And, and then Jesus comes and then he, he reveals his plan and his pattern. And then Jesus says, I've spoken to you. I've, I've given you my pattern. I've shown you my ways and now I'm going to send my spirit and my spirit's going to speak to you. Right. And so there are two ways that God speaks to us personally, which is one on one. Like God speaks to you through me. He speaks to me through you. That was his plan. That was his pattern that we would need each other. That no man is an island and that we can never be alone. He made us for fellowship. All right, this, is, this is one of the reasons why I love the church and this is why I love the expression of what the church is because fellowship is such an important part of hearing from God. You, you hear from God, listen to this, if you don't hear anything else, you hear from God through people. You hear from God through people. Not always those people who say God says, right? But for instance, the person sitting next to you is a carrier of the glory of God. And if this person sits next to you and, and says, listen, God really loves you. And, and like there's, there's something that is so special and so unique about who you are. Like that just releases something into you. It's, it's almost as good as if God came down in the flesh and was a man and said it as if that actually happened. Right? It's, it's the same concept. And so God, God speaks to us through each other. And this is one of the reasons why we can't disqualify prophecy. This, this is one of the, the reasons why, because we're made to encourage each other. Like, I, I always taught the kids that, like, you can never know that you're generous if you're by yourself is because we reflect your generosity. Like, and, and so you'll never know that you're beautiful um, unless there, there's a mirror that's reflecting it back to you. We're the mirror. We're the one that helps to reflect back to you who you are. But with that responsibility comes the same thing. We can destroy each other. With, with that same power, we can destroy each other. And so if you're made to reflect God to people, how good of a job are we doing? If, you're, if your primary responsibility on this earth was to, was to be a, a conduit of God's glory and God's voice into humanity, how good of a job are we doing? The guy who cuts you off in traffic and you, and you just have to pull up next to him to see him. You just have to. You have to. You will cut around and you just have to cut around. Who is this guy? You're stepping on the gas and all you want to do is just look over. That's all you, that's all you, all you want to do is just look over. And he feels like, oh, I know, I know I did something, but I have to punish him somehow. Or you swing around in front of him and you slow down and let him suffer a little bit, right? Because, and, and so we're, we're communicating to people, right? Like we, we are the mirrors, like we are the mirrors. You, you tell someone something like, hey, like I just got my hair cut and your facial expression communicates something to them. Like, ooh, ooh. 
right? Like, that's how God made us. You're supposed to. And then, then you feel bad about who you are and how you look, not because God says so, because someone says so, and they're important, and their opinion counts. It counts. And that's how God made it. That's how it's supposed to be. And, and so have, having these ideas that I don't care what people think is a lie, because God never intends that. You're supposed to care what people think, and people are supposed to think good things from God. So just because they violate their part doesn't mean that you have to reject it. Because then it becomes hard for you to hear from other people who actually want to say something and speak some life into you. Because you don't care what people think. See, here's the thing. If you, <laughs> yeah. if you don't care what people think, you don't care what anyone thinks at all. Even the ones who, who, who want to tell you something powerful and release a new fire into your life. Because if you reject one of us, you reject all of us. That's just the truth. And, and so there's two sides to it, right? The receiving side and the giving side. And each one of you have both. I'm, I'm on the receiving end and the giving end. I have, to, I have to be careful what I give off, in what I say, in my facial expressions, in my reactions. Am I being a, a good conductor of God's voice? Because God is using me to speak to people, not just in what I say, but in what I do. Am I communicating God? Because that is your responsibility, to communicate God. That's why God says to Moses, I'm coming, and so you go. That's why Jesus says, I'm going to send the advocate. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to teach the world, and he's going to... So go. And, and, and there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. He baptizes you. you. You get filled with the Spirit, and he says, go. That's how the Spirit comes. I know we would love to think that God is just going to show up without us. We, we would love that, right? Like we, we pray that God, wherever he is, just show up. And then you know where he is. And like, oh, God, just show up where he is. And you, you never go. You, you will never go. God, just show up wherever he is and touch him apart from me, apart from humanity. Never God's intention. God's intention was always for divinity and humanity and humanity to meet. Divinity and humanity meets in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's always God's intention. Always God's intention. He never disqualifies humanity. And so we can't disqualify ourselves. The second way that, that God speaks to us is prophetically. And, and so in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8 to 10, um, Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah. And he says, what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard and what no human mind has ever conceived. And the things that, like Paul is saying, nobody knows what God is thinking. Because he is so big, he is so far, he is so wide, his thoughts are everlasting. Who can know the mind of God? Right? And this is what Isaiah, he's quoted Isaiah. Isaiah said, who could ever know God? And then in verse, he says, these are the things that God revealed to us by the Spirit. So Isaiah is like, we can never know God. He's too big, too far, too wide, too high. We can never know him. Paul said, but we got the Spirit. And so we know the mind of God. We know the things of God. Because we have the Spirit. And then he reiterates this again in verse 16. He says, who has ever known the mind of God as to instruct him? The rhetorical question he responds to, but we have the mind of Christ. He says, who can know God's mind that he could tell God, God, heal this person? How, how can we say, God, say, who can ever know God's mind that they can say, God, I want you to come and do this? Paul says, you have the mind of Christ. And that's how God speaks to us. He speaks to us by his spirit. And God is no longer just a mystery. If, if, God's, if God's identity to you today is still a God who is far off, up high, far away in the distance, who's looking low and never gets involved because he's too busy with Africa, because for some reason he has lots of work to do in Africa, I don't know, 
right? But if that's your perception of God, it was too high. I would like for you to make sure that you don't leave this place without getting prayer today because God came down in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're still living in the reality of a God who is too far away, if your God is so far away, I don't want you to leave this place today without getting a revelation, not just the information I'm telling you, I, I, I want you to get a revelation of the fact that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ because that's what changes everything. That's what changes everything in our lives. And so the role of prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14.3, is to strengthen, encourage, comfort, build up, edify. That's the purpose. So that's why it matters our facial expressions. It matters how we look at people. It matters how we talk to people. And so if God gives you a word for someone that doesn't match his character and you really feel like it's the Lord and this is just a little teaching on prophecy that I've learned over my few short years is that if, if God gives us a word for someone else that doesn't match up with his character, we need to really, really, really be careful with it. We have to be careful with it because we're communicating who God is. And you don't, you don't have... You don't choose when you prophesy. <laughs> you don't choose when you prophesy. You don't choose when, when you hear God or not. You can't turn him on and off as if he's some radio that's outdated because no one even uses them anymore. Like you can't turn him off and say, oh, well, I'm not hearing God, so I could just say this and do this. And I could just live however the heck I want to. You're all, God is always speaking. His, his voice is eternal. And how, how, how many of you, listen, you can plug your nose and you can close your mouth. How many of you can shut your ears? You can't. You're always hearing. And, and the ears that he's talking about is in here. You can't turn this off. You cannot turn this off. And so we're always hearing God. He speaks to us in our conscience. He speaks to us in a place that we're, we're saying something, we're doing something, and then afterwards there's a little check in our spirit that says, that was really ugly. Like, I didn't communicate the love of God in that place. God is always speaking. And lastly, uh, prophecy is, is not just simply declaring something about God, right? Prophecy has the power. Prophecy has the power to bring forth the thing that you're saying. Right. And so in prophesying, I'm not just saying like, like God is going to do this someday. God is going to, going to, going to, going to, going to. Right. In, in prophecy. So G Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. That, that word is literally the life of God to have the life of God. And so he says, whoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That means that everlasting life doesn't start any time because then it's never everlasting. Make sense? Here we go. If it has a start, then it's not everlasting. So when he says everlasting life, it doesn't start when you die. Everlasting life is life of the ages. It, 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 it's the eternal life. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. Eternal life starts in eternity. It's, it's ever ongoing, right? It is circular. And so he drops it into your life. And so when that comes and we start to prophesy, we're not just talking about the future. We're bringing forth the future with the power of our words. And so in Ezekiel, verse 37, 
Ezekiel quotes and he says, God, who's speaking to him, asks him, son of man, can these bones live? This is Ezekiel in the, in the valley of dry bones. He says, can these bones live? Ezekiel gives the right answer and says, God, only you know. Only you know if these bones can live. And then God releases his thought to him. And he says, then prophesy to the bones. When he says prophesy to the bones, Ezekiel is not saying, I just prophesy that God is going to bless you one day and then walks away. Right? Prophesy to the bones means that he's speaking life into them, which means that he's taking life that was and is to come and he's bringing it into right now and the dry bones, flesh and meat and everything is being added and the bones are coming to life because he's prophesying over the bones. And so in prophesying, he's bringing forth the future. He's bringing forth the eternal life and he's bringing it into right now. He's not just declaring some truths. He's bringing it into now. So prophesying is not just telling the future. It's bringing the future. It's bringing it in. It's letting heaven come, right? You, you're, you're, you're breaching the thing that separates life and eternal life, and you're bringing it into right now. I, 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 I'll tell you the story. When I was at work once, I met this lady who was, was having some tough time, and she said she had went to a, um, a, a medium, you know, with a, they had cards, and they were telling her the future, and she said, you know, she shared what she was going through, that someone had told her already, like, hey, this is coming. She goes, I knew it was coming. Like, I knew this was going to happen. And so she was going to go back and, and consult with the sidekick again. You know, and, and so this is me as a police officer. You know, I, I have to be somewhat kind of professional. And, and so I'm like, all right, well, um, so she told you that this was going to happen. Didn't do you any good, did it? Because here we are. You've been kicked out the house, and he's leaving you. So that didn't really do much. So, so you got an advance, you, you got a warning, and that's it. And I shared, but let me tell you, how, how, how much of a difference would it make if she just couldn't tell you the future, but she could change it if it didn't match what was supposed to happen? And this is the difference between going to a medium and telling the future and, and, and a prophet who brings forth the future. Because I'm not just going to tell you, hey, something bad is going to happen in your life. I'm reaching forth into the heavenly, bringing, bringing the eternal life of God, the life that God intended for you. I'm saying, hey, there's going to be some obstacles in your life, but I'm going to reach cross death into eternity, and I'm going to bring forth this life into right now. That's the role of a prophet. That's the role of a prophet. Not just to tell the future, oh, some calamity is going to come to your life. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's good. Thank you. Right? But, but the role of a prophet is, let's bring this thing into right now. God, do it now. That which belongs to the end, bring it now. The peace that belongs to the end, bring it right now. And, and lastly, in, in Colossians 1, verse 45, 4 to 5, it says that, For we have heard of your faith. This is Paul writing. He says, We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which comes from your confident hope in what God has reserved for you in heaven. He says that your, your love for people comes from your confident hope in what God has for you in heaven. He's saying, <laughs> here, here it is. Whatever you expect of heaven, you, you'll work to produce on earth. Whatever you expect in heaven, you'll work to produce that thing on earth. Your heavenly convictions are going to shape your earthly expectations. Whatever you believe of heaven, if you believe... If you believe that heaven is just a place without sinners, then your life is, is going to be dedicated to disqualifying and removing. If that is the highest place, if that's the highest thing you think about heaven, if you think heaven is primarily a place without sinners, 
then your life is going to be focused on sin and sinners. And if you don't have a revelation of God's love within heaven, that's going to get really ugly on earth. Whatever your heavenly convictions are, whatever the realities of heaven that you have, you will strive and work and prophesy that into being right now. And so today, I, w- I want to ask, what do you think that God thinks about you? Whatever you think that God thinks about you, whatever you think God is, God's plan for you is in heaven for eternity, that's what you're going to be invited into right now. That's what you're invited into right now. I want to invite the worship team to come back up, and we're going to prepare to respond to this in some way. And I want you to prepare your, your tithes and offering during this time as well. And like I explained before, the baskets are here to my left and right. And, and we're, we're going to do a few things simultaneously. But I, I really just, just want us to assess in our hearts, what is the revelation of heaven that you have? Like, what do you think heaven is really, really like? Like, what do you think is the primary focus of heaven? Because as you prophesy and as we live our lives, that's the reality that we're working to bring to earth. That's the reality that we're believing God is going to bring to earth. And the, and the second thing is, do we know what God thinks about the people around us? So what does he think about you? And what does he think about the people around us? Because if we're working to produce God's thoughts on earth, right? So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and then God spoke. And then John said the word became flesh. And so we are to be God's word activated and active. So whatever God says, he made it into flesh, and then we start to do what God says. We are the hands and feet of God's word. My question is, are we doing a good job with that? What is the word that we're delivering to ourselves in the way that we live and in, 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 the, in the open doors that we keep in our lives and, 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 and the way that we let people treat us and the relationships that, that the unhealthy relationships that we allow to continue on? Are we, are we honoring this word that God released? And how are we treating the people around us? Right? If we are the communicators of, of God's word, if, if we're the ones who are not just communicating information, but bringing revelation from top down, are we doing a good job with this? And, and, and if not, like I said, the number one place to be a recipient of God's love. We hope you enjoyed this message from the Doral Vineyard Church by Denville Leafs. For more information, please visit us at doralvineyard.org.